Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports episode 267. It's crazy we've come that far. Uh, I'm wearing a polo today. I'll be honest, I'm sure at some point my undershirt will stick out under my sleeve. I don't even care. It's so hot. I'm not wearing a flannel. It's just too hot for that. Um, this episode is later than I wanted, but again, I, like I, I'm making content as fast as I can. I'm really proud of this episode. It's really good, and um, I've run into like a really good problem actually recently. Where, I mean, it's it's a it's an amazing problem to have. Where we went from having no sports at all to now, and it's ah, it's so glorious. We have so many sports that I don't even know what to do with myself. We're gonna talk about baseball. We're gonna talk about football. We're gonna talk about the NBA. We're gonna talk about Formula One at the very end. Um, I am just, I'm so happy right now. I love what I'm making. I think it's a really great episode. I watched the NBA last night. I watched baseball last night. Uh, the Dodge, what am I saying? The Padres and the Giants went to extra innings. The Padres won. I watched the Twins and Cleveland last night. I learned about the Twins catcher Mitch Gardner. I guess he puts one knee on the ground, helps him frame the pitch so it looks more like a strike. But even what's interesting about that, he has one knee on the ground. It means that he's less mobile. I literally watched him miss a wild pitch while I was watching yesterday. And I don't know how you throw from your knee, but my point is like sports right now, ah, it's everywhere. It's so much fun. Um, I'm just so happy sports are back. I really, truly am. Uh, I hope you're doing well. The lead story today is one that I am so excited to talk about with you guys. The NBA is back. And I just want to start with some some general thoughts about the return of the NBA. The NBA restart opening night was last night. It was so awesome. Uh, both games were two-point games. They came right down to the wire. And, you know, you had that opening moment where Ian Eagle goes, and the NBA is back. And I just went, ah, yes, the NBA on TNT. It was so much fun. The halftime show was great. I can't tell you, I didn't realize how much I missed watching Ernie and Shaq and Kenny and Charles Barkley until, you know, I saw them again. I was like, man, this feels like I'm, you know, it sounds so dumb, but I felt like I was hanging out with old friends again that I hadn't seen in a while. I Look, Shaq, they're, they're not friends of mine, but there's like a rapport. I really like watching them on TV, and it was like, ah, the world is right again. Everybody's back. They were in their behemoth of a studio uh, in Atlanta. I mean, I miss those guys. I really miss watching the NBA. You had Stan Van Gundy. Then later in the Clippers and Cel- uh, Clippers Lakers game, you had Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller. Uh, I-, I just had such a ball last night. I gotta say too, the fake crowd noise was honestly really well done. I was very skeptical uh, about the fake crowd noise. You know, for the TV audience, you know, there might have actually been. I-, I-, I couldn't really tell the difference. I had no idea. Like I. If I didn't know better, I'd be like, oh, there's a crowd there. You know, you can tell there's certain moments where the fans might have cheered louder or a little bit differently at a free throw. Um, but I, it worked for me. And then you had the virtual fans where the fans like Skype in, I guess, uh, on like with their a video feed from their own house where they're watching in like a seat on probably, I think, a green or blue screen. And to me, when I, I hear about, okay, you have people watching an NBA game from their house, that seems like a liability to me. Like, what happens when a guy pulls out? a pipe or gets drunk or does something stupid. Um, but I don't know. It works quite well, I'll be honest. Like, the background looked good. The game was great. Um, I think baseball really suffers a little bit from having no fans because there's all these long pauses without baseball and a lot of pause from action, and you really feel the emptiness of a stadium 
when you watch a baseball game. When you watch an NBA game without a live crowd, it actually, the way they're doing it, it really didn't feel any different for the TV audience, for me watching. Um, I do bet it's weird for the players. I got to wonder, like, what's it like to have, you know, you have fake crowd noise being, ha- you know, pumped in. Like when LeBron hits a three-pointer and you hear fake crowd noise, is that weird? Are you like, it? it's cl- clearly not real. I don't know how it would feel. It feel for me, I think it would be a little bit unsettling. Um, but it's very clear to me that the NBA works very, very well this way. I have no idea how or if the NFL is going to work when it, the time comes. Um, but I got to say, I am sold on the NBA as a product. It was a great time. It was really good. Um, I also, weird side note, I really liked that the NBA coaches got to wear polos instead of, you know, a, a full suit. For the last couple of years, I've been wondering, um, like, the suit and tie has felt weirder and weirder in the NBA. When you look at guys like, in the NFL, you have Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, wearing a sweatshirt and, you know, sweats. And he just doesn't care. Looks No offense to Bill Belichick. Looks like a slob compared to these NBA coaches, which have really nice buttoned-up suits. And so um, I, I like the polo move by the coaches. All in all, man, I really thought that the NBA so far has been a massive, massive success. Uh, there's no coronavirus in the bubble, and guys are doing well. The games are great. A um, lot of goodwill. I think the NBA is a better product than the MLB right now. Baseball's got a lot of problems. NBA is really up to the ante. They're doing a great job. And um, again, not having a crowd, there was very little impact on the television audience. It was a phenomenal product, and I really loved it. Now, I want to talk about both NBA games from last night. Um, I just want to go in order. I know that we'll talk about the Lakers and the Clippers. It's very important to talk about that game. I have a lot to say, um, but I want to just go in order because I want to encourage you. I so very much want to encourage you. If you haven't watched the New Orleans Pelicans play basketball yet this year, you should. And by the way, how cool is that to say that, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans are a fun basketball team to watch? I haven't really been able to say that my entire life. And that's just awesome. The Pelicans are fun. They're messy. They're imperfect. They turn over the ball way too much. But it's really a good time. I just encourage you. The Pelicans are a great, great watch. I know all eyes are on Zion Williamson. But to me, especially from last night, Zion really is not the story of that team. Brandon Ingram and J.J. Redick are the draw for me. They're the two people that pull me to the screen and make me want to watch more of the Pelicans moving forward. You know, Brandon Ingram is in his fourth year in the NBA. And I remember the last couple of years just waiting and waiting, thinking, when is Brandon Ingram going to pop? When is it going to happen that he finally has a breakout season? And I, I'll be honest, I got impatient. I started to doubt his work ethic. I began to doubt Brandon Ingram's passion for the game. I'm like, does the dude love basketball? What's going on here? And, uh, I mean, this year, Brandon Ingram has taken a really big step forward. His numbers are at an all-time high. He's averaging over 24 points per game. He's got more rebounds, more assists, more minutes total. Um, Brandon Ingram has be- what am I saying? Brandon Ingram has become a reliable franchise player. It's really cool to see. He's got, he had some great buckets last night. We watched him have a really big, deep turnaround J. Uh, for two, we had a big step back and one that I was like, wow, it's a big bucket by Brandon Ingram. It was fun to watch. And he did miss the game-winning three-pointer 
But even though he missed, I really felt like that's a good shot. I don't maybe the sh- uh, the shot selection could have been a little better, but I if there is a situation where at the end of the game somebody's got to take the final shot for the New Orleans Pelicans, I do want it to be Brandon Ingram. He's the guy I want taking that shot. And so I'm sad he missed it, but I really felt like the Pelicans did everything they could to put themselves in a position to win last night. Um, now that's not entirely true. They had a 16 point lead. We'll break down where things went wrong for the Pelicans. But I got to say, first of all, J.J. Redick is also awesome. This new J.J. Redick, apparently he's got a podcast called the J.J. Redick Podcast. Very straightforward. Great name, I guess. Um, He had 21 points off the bench. I got to hear the podcast. And uh, J.J. had some big moments last night. Three really big three-pointers. A three in transition that I just remember vividly where he's on the run. He stops, pulls up, like his feet jump way forward. He just... Beautiful shot, swish for the win. Um, he took a charge. He was hustling all over the place. He's a smart, scrappy player. Had a really cool play in transition where he's in the fast break. He jump stopped, did a head fake. The defender kind of jumped over him. He ducked under and got a layup. Um, I don't know. He had a big save where he kept the ball from going out of bounds. Hits it to uh, Josh Hart. Josh Hart was set up for a three-pointer. I just, I don't know, man. Josh Hart's an intriguing role player. I love watching J.J. Redick. Uh, you know, Josh Hart can hit a three. He can play a little bit of defense. Drew Holiday had 20 points last night. The Pelicans also have this rookie center, um, Jackson Hayes. He's 20 years old. He's this energetic, you know, high-effort guy who's not the most talented, but he's young. He's growing. Uh, he's a good role player in my mind, especially where he'll be in a couple years from now. He keeps growing and keeps up the intensity. I just got to say, I love watching the Pelicans. They're fun. And I haven't even mentioned Lonzo Ball, let alone Zion Williamson. The Pelicans are really doing good stuff, and I enjoy it. I just didn't forget the fact that they lost. They did lose last night. But, man, I, I, I think the highlight of the night for me, there were two great games last night. For me, the highlight of the night was watching the youth and the, the energy of the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's talk about Zion, though, first. I got to say, um, he just... He was not the story in my mind. Zion was a he he's like a he's an important piece of the Pelicans. People love watching him. He's a big draw to television. I think Brandon Ingram really is the franchise player right now in New Orleans. I know that's weird to say, but he's leading their team. He did last night. JJ Redick is a big story to me. Zion had a couple moments though where he went, Wow. Those are some big splash memorable plays where he had you know, two alley-oops, he had the early drive where he finished with the left, you know, driving hard inside, tucking his shoulder, getting up with the left. The, the, the alley-oops, one was where he cut back door, Lonzo lobbed it up. It was just loud and energetic, really big. And then he had that really nice behind-the-back pass to Lonzo Ball for two. I just, man, I'm talking as if the Pelicans won last night. I know they didn't. Uh, there was a point where the Pelicans had a lead by 16 points. But in the end, what, what happened to the Pelicans, the reason why the Pelicans lost was that they're, the, the honest truth is their sloppy play caught up to them. They had too many turnovers. They struggled on defense inside. Um, but again, their youth, watching the Pelicans grow, that was a highlight of the night for me. Now, Utah really has been missing, at least he missed last night. They missed uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, who is a guy who, he had a season-ending wrist injury. He's a guy who can do, he can shoot on the move. Um, he's good with movement without the ball. They really missed him last night. It hurt their offense. And I got to be honest, last night, the entire night throughout the Pelicans and Utah Jazz game, I'm sitting there wondering, 
when is Donovan Mitchell going to make an impact? When is he going to make his presence known? Like, where is Donovan Mitchell waiting and waiting and waiting? And as I waited, eventually he actually did show up. He had a, I mean, it's weird. He had 20 points, and it was such a quiet 20 points. You're like, oh, really? Donovan Mitchell had 20 points. It just snuck up on me. But finally, at the end of the fourth quarter, he showed up when he was needed. He scored to take the lead. He hit a couple more free throws after that. And, uh, and then we, we all know Brandon Ingram missed the, the, the buzzer-beater three-pointer, which would have won the game for the Pelicans. Uh, I know that Utah and New Orleans are not title contenders, but I really got to say, for the first game of the year, back for the restart, great matchup. Fun game to watch. The Jazz won 106-104. At the end, uh, the Jazz are a flawed team. They're missing, again, they're missing Bojan uh, Bogdanovich. They're missing, uh, I, I, there's something off with them, and they're really not a title contender. But their matchup with the Pelicans was great. The Pelicans had a huge lead. They squandered it, in my opinion, but that's okay. They're a young team. I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs this year. They needed to win this game. They got, I think they play the Pelicans, they play the Clippers next, which is really not good. Um and I know the Pelicans are, everyone says they got the easiest schedule in the NBA restart. That's great. You still got to finish. They didn't last night. Uh, but regardless, if you haven't watched the Pelicans yet, I cannot encourage it enough. It's a fun watch. Give them hope. Give them, if you look at it with, oh, they're a young team growing. Oh, man. It's awesome. It's such a blast. Uh, now, I need to drink some pineapple juice first. I mean, I know the reason why I do it is it helps you deal with like your spit. It breaks it up a little bit, makes it easier to talk when you're talking for a long time in a row. Now, the Lakers and Clippers game was not the NBA restart opening game, but it was the marquee game on the opening night of the NBA restart. You know, the battle for L.A. Even though it wasn't in L.A., it was a really big, important matchup. And I got a lot to say, but number one overall, I got to say this. Before we get into the game and what happened, I need to start by saying that even though the Lakers won, they won 103-101 to 101 last night, I do not see how the Lakers can beat the Clippers in the long run down the stretch. I don't see a possibility where the Lakers beat the Clippers in the, let's say, the Western Conference Finals. You know, by the time they rematch, again, if it is that indeed the Western Conference Finals, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell are going to be back. They're both still in quarantine waiting to come back. And if you don't know, Montrez Harrell brings uh, 18 points per game and a rebounding presence. Lou Williams can also score 18 points per game, but he also is a, a three-point shooter. And the Lakers struggled last night with a gimpy Clippers team that was not at full strength. And the Lakers barely won. And the fact that the Lakers barely beat that Clippers team that didn't have Montez Harrell, Montrez Harrell, that didn't have Lou Williams. I, I, I'm really pretty sure that when the Clippers are at full strength, then again, I think I said uh, Montez, I meant Montrez. I apologize if I said the wrong name. It's a talk show. You screw up at some point. Um, I called the Lakers the, I said they were my NBA favorite. And the more, after watching last night, I can see that was just a stupid, wrong very bad take. And I can own that. Like, I, I'm very comfortable with getting new information and going, oh, hey, I'm wrong. When I see I'm wrong, I want to admit it and acknowledge it. And in my opinion, the Clippers should be the favorite to win the NBA. It's very clear after last night. The fact that the Lakers 
barely won last night, and we'll get into the nitty-gritty and talk about the details, but given what the Clippers are bringing back to their team and the fact that the Lakers really struggled even last night, it's not a good sign. And if you're a Lakers fan, I don't know how you feel good about last night. I know you won. You're like, oh, great, we won. But if you look ahead to the future, I go, ooh, the future of that matchup, Clippers-Lakers, is not very bright, not very encouraging. Now, you can take a lot of angles about LeBron James last night. Here's what I saw. Uh, for most of the game, in my opinion, LeBron was kind of a, a Robin to Anthony Davis's Batman. Anthony Davis had 34 points. Um, but part of why that happened, part of why LeBron took more of a backseat to Anthony Davis is that the Clippers are a team perfectly assembled to stop LeBron. They have two great, long, good, on-ball defenders, Kawhi and Paul George. Not to mention an aggressive and kind of annoying defender, Patrick Beverly. And the Clippers can mostly shut down LeBron. And I think the way I say that, people think I'm probably pandering to LeBron. I'm not. I want to be very honest. Um, I cannot come out and say that LeBron is so dominant he can beat Kawhi and Paul George. He can't. He needs help. It's very clear. Oh, uh, LeBron... Ran into a wall last night with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, LeBron does pull so much attention on defense that it creates opportunities for his teammates. You know, look at uh, Kyle Kuzma had 16 points last night. Anthony Davis at one point was being guarded by Patrick Patterson, whoever the heck that is. Uh, Patrick Patterson cannot guard Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis went on a tear. Had like two threes in a row, another big fadeaway. You're like, oh, okay, wow, this guy cannot stop Anthony Davis. And I like Alex Caruso. He's scrappy. He's got a lot of hustle. He's a fun Laker to watch, but he's not enough. Look at what happened. If you take a step back and think about it this way, the Clippers lost by two points last night. And things went well. They shut down LeBron in the first half. That's because, again, LeBron's being guarded by Kawhi and Paul George. He's really struggling. LeBron did not score at all in the first quarter. But when you think about it, okay, the Clippers barely won or barely lost, excuse me, lost by two points. And they were missing two players who averaged 18 points per game, Montres Harrell and Lou Williams. The Clippers turned over the ball 22 times. Not to mention Paul George struggled to shoot in the first half. It's the first game back. Paul George is a little bit rusty. In the third quarter at one point, Paul George hit three three-pointers in a row. Go, oh, Paul George is awake. And here's another angle you can take on LeBron James. You can talk about the way LeBron James ended the game. Because it's undeniable to me that LeBron showed up at the end when it was a close game and it mattered. LeBron James only had short moments last night. There was not a long stretch where, you know, LeBron James was dominant. But we can say that at the end of the game, when it's close, LeBron James can turn it on for a little while and become dominant. You know, he beat Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who were switching while guarding him. He drove inside. He followed his own shot in the air in one single motion, grabbed his rebound, put it back, took the lead, and that's his bucket that won the game for the Lakers. And then on the next possession, the Clippers' final possession, LeBron handled a switch where he switched from Kawhi to Paul George, shut down Paul George, couldn't, get the, you know, couldn't make the shot, ball game over, Clippers lose, Lakers win. And here's the problem with that. LeBron James cannot dominate the way he did at the end of the game last night. He cannot dominate 
Kawhi and Paul George for an entire game. He can turn it on at the end if the game is close. He can turn it on for a little bit. But I believe that if the Lakers and the Clippers rematch, let's say the Western Conference Finals, the Clippers are going to win in six games because they're going to have Lou Williams, they're going to have Montrezl Harrell back, and they're going to shoot better in the first half because they're not going to be rusty. They're not going to have 22 turnovers last night. It was really ugly by the Clippers. They're going to be more cohesive as time goes on. And I really believe that when the Clippers rematch with the Lakers, if that does indeed happen, then the games aren't going to be close at the end. And LeBron's not going to be able to flip a switch and dominate at the end because they're going to be down 10 points. And if you're down 10 points, it's not the same as if you're down. If it's a one-point game, LeBron can put it into gear for the final two minutes and find a way to do what he did last night to Kawhi and Paul George. So I really think that despite losing last night, the Clippers have the Lakers' number. I, I just really, if you're a Laker fan, I don't know how you feel that LeBron and the Lakers should be the favorite moving forward. If I'm a Laker fan, I go, man, we gave our best effort and we barely beat the Clippers, so we're getting two more players back. They're going to play better next time. They're going to shoot better in the first half. I go, I don't know. I think it'll be a fun battle. But again, next time, if the Lakers and Clippers rematch, I have the Clippers winning in six games. By the way, a fun aside. Um, I've been reading the Jack Reacher novels. It's a series by Lee Child. And so for anybody who gets this reference, I think it's really fun. If anybody understands this, if you've, if you've read Jack Reacher, I would say that Kawhi Leonard is the Jack Reacher of the NBA. He's this quiet, physically imposing, dominant player with no real flash. Um, he doesn't really care about looks, although I will say that Kawhi does make really difficult things look easy. But you can say the same thing about Jack Reacher. It's even a movie with Tom Cruise starring Tom Cruise. There's two of them, actually. The second one's not as good as the first. But Kawhi doesn't care how things look. Neither does Jack Reacher. They only care about winning. And so in my opinion, a fun little thing for anybody who cares, anybody who understands, in my opinion, Kawhi Leonard is the Jack Reacher of the NBA. Now, I have one final point. Um, I want to give credit to LeBron James for his post-game interview. I mean, you think about it this way. LeBron James was literally seconds after winning. Hot, tired, sweaty. Again, he just won seconds ago. And then he goes to do a post-game interview on the court, and he gives a long, uh, you know, really a couple long, eloquent answers where he talked about spreading love and positive change in America. And I just want to give LeBron credit. He's an outstanding superstar. Forget how he plays on the court. It's really the way LeBron is an ambassador to the NBA. He's like the NBA's wise grandfather. He's a great representative of the NBA. And I just wanted to tip my cap. I don't know that we're going to see LeBron James win a championship this year. I'm, I'm pretty fearful and, and doubtful, honestly. I, I really love LeBron. I like him. I think he's a, a really classy, upstanding dude. I, I love the way he cares himself. I think it's really interesting the way that he's become, he's been famous for most of his life and he's really handled it very well. He's a family man. Um, and I just, I don't know that we're going to get the LeBron finish I wanted this year. I'm like, LeBron, the Lakers, Anthony Davis. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Well, unfortunately, after last night, I feel pretty strongly that the Clippers should be the favorite to win the NBA Finals. And so now I just wanted to, it was an opportunity. LeBron, on the big stage in front of everybody, gave some really great eloquent answers. And I just, I just appreciate LeBron. He's a great superstar. He carries himself really well. And I, I think he's unique in the way he speaks and his voice and who he is. And so um, 
I just I wanted to share that at the end. I really liked who LeBron is and the way he carries himself. But again, the final, if you if you if there's one thing you take away from this topic, it's that I'm not convinced that the Lakers have any chance down the road against the Clippers. The Clippers look dominant despite losing. They're going to add Montreal Harris. They're going to add the Williams. They're going to shoot better. They're not going to have 22 turnovers next time. And I really don't believe the Lakers have a shot down the road to beat the Clippers. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do some more. I want to talk about Jamal Adams a little bit more. Uh, Jamal Adams, that trade has been something on my mind for a long time. We're going to talk about the Jets' perspective. So a little more wrinkle to the Seahawks' perspective as well. There are two separate topics in my mind. We're going to talk about the TV series Last Chance You. Uh, we'll do a reaction to the NFL Top 100 list. We'll talk about the Patriots. Um, at the end of the show, the very end, the final topic is a really fun, um, I call it like a guilty pleasure topic for me. And then at the end of the show, uh, right before the guilty pleasure topic, we'll talk about the Formula One British Grand Prix, do a preview of that race, which is on Sunday. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler, taking a short break. When I return, Jamal Adams, Last Chance You, Patriots, NFL Top 100. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Now, I want to start here because in the last couple of years, Last Chance You has been one of my favorite television shows. And right now, I'm 30 minutes into episode one, season five of Last Chance You. I'm told this is the final season. Again, I'm 30 minutes in. I'm partway through episode one. I think it's like 58 minutes total. And I plan to watch season five in its entirety at some point in the next couple days and then sit down and do a full review of the series and do spoilers and have fun and talk about it. Um, but I'm 30 minutes in. I want to share my initial impression of the episode and of the show so far because I really encourage you, if you haven't seen Last Chance U season five, if you love football, if you have Netflix, Last Chance U is a phenomenal show. This season especially is really unique and cool. Um, so go watch Last Chance U. This year they went to Laney College in Oakland. And it's a very, very unique setting for the show. And I'm so glad that they chose to go to Laney College in Oakland because most people have no idea what junior college football in California is like. It's brutal. It's really difficult. Um, I've had friends who've done it. And it's different because there are no scholarships and there's no money to give. And some kids are lucky. I, I know, in fact, some kids have had their parents parents pay for everything the parents pay for their housing and their meals and they're set they're good but most kids don't have parents to pay for everything and so they're working a job they're doing everything they can to make ends meet and go to class and play football it's very unique it's very bizarre i mean there's one guy on the last chance you show which has he works at wingstop and you're like oh my gosh he's working at wingstop playing college football it's not glamorous it's hard and because guys aren't on scholarship in California, the players are different. This year, season five of Last Chance U, the guys are way less entitled so far than in previous seasons because California is the hardest place to play football, I think, in America, especially at least junior college football. Because, again, if you're at Alabama, it's, it's really difficult. But you're not worried about trying to survive, to pay rent, to eat. Where am I going to find food? At least those things are taken care of. You're trying to survive and play football and do school. It's crazy brutal. And, um, I mean, I think junior college football in California, you have more roadblocks 
than an, than an athlete can run into than pretty much anywhere else in sports. And, you know, you have guys who drive two hours to practice or to class or some players have kids. Some players have a full-time job or they sleep in their car. There are, the situations are so unique and different at Laney College and in California. And then I look at, okay, wow, Laney College, last chance to use season five. They got this guy, Coach Beam, coaching at Laney College. And other than the fact that I really, really badly want to trim the dude's mustache because his mustache hangs way down over his lips into his mouth. And I'm like, please, for the love of God, can you trim it? Other than that, um, Coach Beam is phenomenal. And Coach Beam is unique to the series because, I mean, coaches in the past, Buddy Stevens or Jason Brown, the coaches in the previous years were coaches who really didn't seem like great guys. Um, At least not the way Coach Beam does, where Coach Beam seems genuine. He seems like he cares. He's, you know, for once, the head coach of the team is truly like a good character and even a hero. And because, I guess hero in the sense of like, in the storyline of the show, he's a good character. He's not a villain. He's not an antagonist. He's a protagonist. And because that Coach Beam is actually a good dude, this year could actually just be a multi-episode. Uh, my prediction is it's a multi-episode commercial for, hey, Laney College is great, and Coach Beam is awesome. Unless some crazy turn happens and Coach Beam is like a really mean, evil dictator who's awful to his players, which I just don't see happening. So far, 30 minutes into episode one, Seems like a great dude who actually genuinely cares for his players. And that's unique because we haven't had that throughout the last chance you first four seasons. And I wonder if maybe the people that, you know, the crew of the show got tired of having tiny towns and hothead coaches who were angry and hard to work with and would yell at them, tell them to get out of here and pissed off and doing all this stuff. So I don't know where the show is going. I think I can tell, but I'm just excited to watch where the rest of the season goes. I also got to say one more thing. Like, right about the point where I left off last night, there's a uh, a scene where a guy, Billy Nelson, walks into Coach Beam's office. He's got number 36, and he's really upset. He's like, Coach, do I really got to wear number 36? And it's really interesting. And I'm watching, and I go, oh, my gosh, that's crazy, because I went to middle school with Billy Nelson. And I'm like, wait, what? And Billy Nelson was in my grade, right? (laughs) We were in eighth grade together years and years ago. And I'm like, how is Billy Nelson here? I remember playing basketball with him at lunch and recess. Like, I'm like, wait, what? This dude's in Last Chance U? And how, I mean, he must have taken years off of football. I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him in a long time. He went to a, a different high school in Portland than I did. But I just, I don't know what Billy's story is. I don't know how he ended up at Laney College playing football like five, six years after he graduated from high school. It's bizarre. It's wild. But I got to say, it was cool. Bill, if you're out there, I'm rooting for you. It's so cool to see you. Uh, I reached out to him on Instagram. We talked a little bit. I just, I don't know, man. He got on the TV screen and went, what? (laughs) What the heck? I mean, I just, I was shocked. It was very bizarre. And so um, I'm excited to watch the rest of the season to see what happens. I hope Billy has a cool storyline. Maybe he's not featured at all. Maybe he was just in the one scene to get a a shot of a guy complaining about the jersey. I have no idea. Um, But again, I want to say it's a great docu-series. It's a documentary. It's a true story. It's real. It's not Friday Night Lights. It's not scripted. It's authentic. It's real people, real stories. Um, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. If you haven't watched Last Chance You, the entire series is great. And season five, 30 minutes into episode one, is phenomenal. I love it. I can't wait to watch the rest of it and talk about it down the road. But I wanted to do a brief like highlight of what I've seen so far and share that. Because for me, oh my gosh, it was really, really fun and 
Uh, for me, it's like it's like a drug. I just I love Last Chance You. I eat it up. I watch it so quickly because it's one of the, I just binge it because I love it so much and it's so interesting. So um, I had to share my initial enthusiasm for Last Chance You, season five and Laney College. Okay, um, I need to drink some more juice real quick. Ooh, it's a lot. And water. We'll do the whole ritual. It's okay. We're doing okay. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're good. Okay, I want to, uh, I want to, revi- what am I saying? I want to revisit the Jamal Adams trade. And I got criticized on YouTube because uh, people said I didn't offer a New York Jets perspective on the trade. And I didn't talk about how the trade impacted the Jets. And actually, I think it's fair criticism. I went, okay, well, I did. I talked for like 14 minutes, and it's pretty much entirely about the Seattle Seahawks. And so I, I want to talk about the Jets. I also want to give maybe an apologies. Is that the right word to use here? I don't know. Um, I made a flippant comment. I was talking about Adam Gase and my frustration with the Jets, and I made a flippant comment where I said that uh, the Jets general manager will probably be fired next year. Um, and upon reflection, man, that was just wrong. I just, uh, Jets fans were very angry at me for good reason. I get it. We'll break down why I was wrong. Um, but really what was in my heart in that moment was frustration with Adam Gase, the Jets head coach. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I really don't believe that Adam Gase, at least I don't know that he's the right guy to lead the Jets. I'm not sure that the head coach, Adam Gase can help Sam Darnold. Uh, I'm not sure that he's the right coach in New York. I don't know. If, I don't know that he's going to even be there after this year. Uh, but Joe Douglas is the general manager of the New York Jets. And while I'm not a huge fan of Adam Gase, the head coach, I got to be fair to Joe Douglas. If you do any research or even open your eyeballs and look at what he's done, it's very clear that Joe Douglas is doing a really good job as the Jets general manager. Um, you know, he had an incredible 2020 draft class for the New York Jets. Uh, they got three starters in the first round of the NFL draft. Really a big steal, Ashton Davis in the third round. If you don't know, here's what the Jets did in the NFL draft. They got Mekhi Becton in the first round, an offensive tackle. Uh, I think he was a steal. He probably could have gone earlier. Some people thought maybe it was going to go to the Giants. I think the Giants, I believe the Giants picked Andrew Thomas. I don't want to get the name wrong. I believe that's who they picked. But some people thought maybe that could have been Mekhi Becton instead. Uh, Denzel Mims was the receiver the Jets picked in the second round. Another big steal. My buddy Brett Coleman was really high on him. Could not believe he fell that far. Uh, Then safety Ashton Davis was a guy they drafted in the third round. And he's a guy who's great in man coverage. And the reason why he fell in the draft was because he had a groin issue around the time of the combine. And coronavirus actually made it so that teams could not get their medical team and their doctor's to Davis to get him a, get a checkup and make sure that he was okay. And so he was a first-round talent who got drafted in the third round because people viewed him as risky. And then also you can't mention, there, there really was not a bad draft in the entire draft class for the New York Jets. Uh, they got running back uh, the Michael P. Ryan from Florida, who's phenomenal. Um, and I just, man, I, I really, I was wrong about what I said about Joe Douglas. I was flippant. I was really just, I, it's like almost, I was talking out of my, my I'm not going to say my, my, my butt, but I was, I just was, I was flippant and I was wrong. Um, and I'm not backtracking. I'm just, I'm self-correcting because I, I really think that uh, upon reflection, yeah, that, that was a stupid thing to say. Um, now, the Jamal Adams trade is the second big move that Joe Douglas has made. He had a great draft class. 
Now, following that up, he traded away Jamal Adams. And so now, in the next two draft classes, the Jets have two first-round picks in 2021. They had two first-round picks in 2022. Um, and the same way that trading away Khalil Mack really helped the Raiders build their team through the draft, I believe the Jets made a similar move here by trading away Jamal Adams. And I want to give the Jets credit. So the trade was good for Seattle, but it was also very good for the future of the Jets. And it's sad, you know, I think it's going to be a little while before those draft picks can actually benefit the Jets quarterback, Sam Darnold. In my opinion, Sam needs help as soon as possible. And unfortunately, I'm really not confident that Adam Gase is the right head coach to help Sam Darnold become the quarterback I believe he can be. I did a whole film analysis of it. Adam Gase, oh boy, uh, a lot of problems, a lot of dysfunction there. But drafting Ashton Davis is going to give the Jets a starting safety. He's no Jamal Adams, but hey, he's another starting safety. He can fill the role as needed. Um, And I saw somewhere, I can't remember who did it, someone pointed out that the Jets traded away Jamal Adams only after rookies were able to come into the building and after the Jets were able to evaluate Ashton Davis and see, oh, he's okay. He's going to be able to play this year. Like, oh, we don't need Jamal Adams the same way because we have another safety who can replace him. They also traded away. They got um, Bradley McDougal, a safety from the Seahawks, in the trade. So all around the Jets, they got draft picks for the future. They got two new safeties in the draft, one in the draft, one in the trade. And looking ahead for the Jets, I, I think long-term, they won. But I also want to repeat that short-term, I'm very worried about Sam Darnold, the quarterback of the Jets. You did get him an offensive lineman, Mekhi Becton. You got him a receiver, Denzel Mims, in the draft. That's great. But the head coach, Adam Gase, is a big problem. He seems disorganized. His game planning is weird. I don't know that he's helping Sam Darnold properly. And my fear is that two years from now, when Sam Darnold does finally get those draft picks to help him, it's going to be too late. People are either going to be sick of him or he's going to be viewed as a guy who just can't win and isn't good enough. Um, so I, I don't know that the New York Jets have the patience required to actually build around Sam Darnold. They're headed in the right direction, but they're going to have to be patient because, yeah, you got a couple pieces around Sam Darnold. You also traded away your very best player on your entire team, Jamal Adams. And so I don't know that the Jets are going to win in the short term, but long term for sure. They are set for the future, and that reflects very well on the general manager, Joe Douglas. Um, I I hope that the Jets stick with Sam Darnold for the next three years. I think that if they can get those draft picks, develop Denzel Mims, develop Mekhi Becton, build around Sam, uh, draft him help, and if need be, maybe get Sam Darnold a new coach, I think the future could be very bright for the Jets. Um, but I, I just wanted to revisit that because I'd never talked about the Jets' perspective. And I also, in in what I said, I really made a lot of Jets fans angry. And I think needlessly so because I was wrong. Um, Joe Douglas so far has done a great job as the general manager of the New York Jets. Now, I do have a little bit more to say about the Jamal Adams trade. Um, number one, the 49ers were potentially in the market for Jamal Adams. And in my opinion, part of why the Seattle Seahawks needed to get Jamal was because they needed to keep him away from their division rival, the 49ers. They could not afford to let the 49ers add him to their roster and make the gap even bigger between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Now, number two, think about it this way. Jamal Adams really helps the Seahawks stop 49ers tight end George Kittle. George Kittle is the best tight end in the entire NFL. And the entire division of the NFC West has 
slowly begun reacting and adjusting to George Kittle where, you know, the Cardinals drafted linebacker Isaiah Simmons to get a guy who physically could keep up with George Kittle. And now they, the Seahawks have added Jamal Adams, who's another guy who can guard Kittle two games a year in those matchups. Um, now, the most frustrating part, as I reflect on the Jamal Adams trade and the entire saga of him getting out of New York, the narrative that has been created about Jamal Adams calling him a diva and a troublemaker is really bothersome and really frustrating because here's the reality. Jamal Adams wants to win. And the Jets culture, in my opinion, and clearly in Jamal Adams' opinion as well, is that the Jets culture is a mess. And it starts with Adam Gase, a head coach who is not very confidence-inspiring. I think even New York Jets fans would say, yeah, we don't really, we're really not the biggest Adam Gase fans either. We kind of understand where that's coming from. And I know there's a lot of anger at Jamal Adams. But you got to think about it this way. From a player's perspective, he's 24 years old. He was drafted by the New York Jets. He really didn't choose to play where he landed. And the only way that Jamal Adams was going to get out of New York was by making a lot of noise. He had to be very loud and do some ridiculous stuff to get traded away because he's really talented. Why would any team want to get rid of Jamal Adams? It doesn't make sense. The only way you're going to get moved out of New York is if you make a lot of noise and become a guy that people don't want to be in the building. So Jamal Adams did everything he could to get out of New York. He asked for an insane amount of money. He wanted to raise a giant contract. He demanded a trade. He bashed the organization. He did everything he possibly could in his power to leave and get out of the Jets. And in the end, Jamal Adams got what he wanted. He got out. And I don't think that Jamal Adams is an unreasonable person. But I do believe he was desperate for a change. And when somebody's desperate, they do anything it takes to get their goal achieved. And the reality is Jamal lost faith in the Jets organization and in their leadership. And I don't blame him. To me, it explains his contract demands very perfectly when you go, why was he demanding so much money from the Jets? Well, if he believes that the Jets are a place where he can't win and has a really bad and bleak future, then if I'm going to be miserable for the next 10 years of my career, or the next however many years of my career in New York, if I'm going to be miserable, I at least want to make a boatload of money to make up for my misery. And people say that he's going to demand a ton of money in Seattle. And I'll be clear. I have no doubt that Jamal Adams is going to sign a record-breaking contract in Seattle. Sure. Okay. And he deserves it. Jamal Adams is a top 10 player in the NFL. And the salary cap is about to go up. Plus, oh yeah, he's only 24 years old. He's entering the prime of his career right now this year. And I, I do believe Jamal Adams is going to be happy in Seattle. He's going to be happy. They have a good culture. He's going to be winning games. Oh, I'm sure that's going to be great after a couple of years in New York. And the fact that Jamal Adams is going to be happy on a winning team with a good culture, in my opinion, gives Seattle a little bit of wiggle room. So maybe, maybe they get Jamal Adams to knock down the price just a little bit because he's actually happy and he's actually in a place where he wants to be. Again, I've got no doubt it'll be a record-breaking contract. But if he's happy in Seattle, he might sign for a couple million fewer than he would have in New York, and I, I think it's undeniable. 
And, and I think part of why he asked for so much money in New York was, if I'm going to be here and miserable, I want to get a boatload of money. And if the more money I ask for, the less likely it is that the Jets will want to keep me around. And the more likely it's going to be that I'm going to be traded away. Some of it was negotiation tactics and him trying to get out of New York. But I want to go back to that narrative that Jamal Adams is a troublemaker. Because to me, ugh, it's just silly. It's wrong. It's not fair. It's not good. And maybe it's fair because he did do some stuff to try to get out of there. Fair enough, I guess. But it's it just, if you're going to say Jamal Adams is a troublemaker and a cancer to your locker room, I just do not buy it. One of the things you can see on film is a player's preparation. And it's very clear when you watch Jamal Adams, he's very prepared. He does an extreme amount of work. Of work. His work ethic is incredible. I know you like, I don't need to be in the building. I can watch on film. The product speaks for itself. Jamal Adams works his tail off. And there's no way a guy works that hard and is that bad for a locker room because Jamal Adams is hungry to win. And I, I just, man, there's, it's a false narrative about Jamal Adams that he's bad or a troublemaker. He's a passionate, hardworking dude who desperately wants to win. And when you work really hard, then of course you're going to want to have success as a team. I'm putting all this work in, and we're still winning four games a year, five games a year. What? It would be infuriating. Part of why I work alone is because it's really frustrating to rely on other people and other people's work ethic and the culture that you can't necessarily set because you're not the person in charge. That's why I never want to work for a sports network. And Jets fans have been awful to Jamal Adams. They look like a spiteful ex. Jets fans, I get it. You feel rejected and you're mad. But the reality is that Jamal Adams was just honest about the Jets' dysfunction. He wanted out. He's not a troublemaker. He's a guy who was desperate for a change, and he got the change he wanted. I, I don't think Jamal Adams is a troublemaker. I think he did what he had to to get out of New York. And I, I just I had to get that off my chest. I think part of why Seattle traded for him was to help them beat George Kittle. They also traded for him a little bit to keep him away from the 49ers. And I really don't think Jamal Adams is going to be a problem in the Seattle Seahawks locker room because he's going to be happy to be there. He's bought in, and he believes in the leadership. And the minute you don't believe in the leadership of the people you're part of— I remember when I was in college, I had a, a professor who kept telling me, man, Zach, you're going to have to go work in— a dinky little town in Montana, work as a local news reporter, and then maybe that'll lead you to a local radio gig in a podunk town with nobody there. And if you spend five years at the local podunk radio station, maybe you'll get a bigger market like Sacramento, and then maybe from there you'll go to Portland, and then maybe eventually you'll be on a national stage. And I went, that's stupid. Why would anybody take that path? And I, from then on, I, I really had problems with my professors because their vision did not align with mine. And the culture that they had in my old college, I'll say it's Washington State and Pullman. I really hated the communication program. I have no problem saying that. I had professors who were very unhelpful to me that said I would never succeed on YouTube and said that YouTube was a stupid career and you couldn't make any money. I'm okay. I'm doing very well. And I just, my point is that when you lose out on, and I'm spiteful, no problem. I will admit that. My point is that when you lose faith in the people guiding you, you lose faith in the leadership leading the way, you got to get out. And you got to do everything you can to get out. Because once you lose faith in where you're headed, 
It's all snowballed from there. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm taking a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Patriots. We'll talk about the NFL Top 100. React to the list. Uh, we'll talk about Formula One, do a race preview. We'll do a fun topic at the end. I call it a guilty pleasure topic. Really not about sports, just fun. And uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I'm so excited for this topic. It's a fun one. It's really intriguing to me. It's a storyline I'm really excited to follow and see what happens. So in my opinion, the stage is being set for Bill Belichick to potentially prove his wizardry as an NFL head coach. And maybe the word is genius. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for to prove his genius as an NFL head coach. I'm excited to see what Bill Belichick is made of this year. This offseason, the Patriots lost their Hall of Fame quarterback, Tom Brady. He left in free agency, went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then a global pandemic hit, and six of the Patriots players opted out of the 2020 NFL season. Two backup role players, but four starters who are going to have their impact players. Uh, Linebacker, Devontae Hightower, safety Patrick Chung, right tackle Marcus Cannon, fullback Danny Vitale. And so the Patriots have a new quarterback, Cam Newton, who's got plenty of people doubting him. The roster has been gutted in New England. Not only did people leave in free agency uh, from New England, but you also have people who are opting out because of coronavirus. So the roster is vastly different this year than it was last year in New England. And in your own division, the Buffalo Bills are a rising threat who made the playoffs last year and are making a push to beat you in your own division. And so, in my opinion, for years and years, Bill Belichick has heard all about the greatness of Tom Brady, the TB12 method, this, that. Tom Brady this, Tom Brady that, our Lord and Savior Tom Brady. Well, maybe it's possible that this year will be Bill Belichick's best year coaching in the NFL. Because the stage is being set. Bill Belichick has an opportunity now to really flex his coaching ability and win with a gutted roster. And honestly, if anybody can win with the Patriots roster they currently have, it's Bill Belichick. Now, what does that mean? What is the standard of winning? Is that the playoffs? Is that winning the division? Is that the Super Bowl? Is that just simply having a winning season? I have no idea what that means. I don't know what's going to happen to the Patriots But I cannot wait to see what happens in New England. And no matter what happens in New England, I know that Bill Belichick, their head coach, is going to have some kind of a plan and some kind of a unique approach. And it's going to work to some degree. The question is, how much? How great of a coach is Bill Belichick? He's won with great players. He's won with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Can Bill Belichick win with this gutted roster? And to what degree can Bill Belichick win with this New England Patriots roster which is not the same as it's been in years past. Okay, uh, man, how do I get into this one? Oh, boy. The NFL Top 100 list came out, um, and people keep asking me to share my thoughts on the list. I'll be very honest. I really don't care at all about the NFL Top 100 list. To me, it reminds me a lot of the Madden ratings where it's like, who cares? It's just another silly list. Now, the players vote. There's a lot of favoritism. Uh, It is noteworthy because the players vote. I think it was more noteworthy a couple years ago when it's more novel, a little more interesting. Uh, There's a lot of favoritism. There's a lot of recency bias. There's a lot of egos involved in the way players vote. Uh, 
it really doesn't interest me very much. But since people ask, I want to say that my problems with the list are, number one, Julio Jones is the third highest ranked receiver on the list. He should have been the number one receiver. He's third behind Michael Thomas and then DeAndre Hopkins. I think it's weird, a little bit wrong. Uh, Jamal Adams at 27 is laughable. It's ridiculous. He's a top 10 player in the NFL. I mean, TJ Watt and Dalvin Cook are ahead of Jamal Adams? What? Not not J.J. Watt. T.J. Watt, the little brother. It's just silly and weird to me. And Jimmy, unless uh, maybe I read the list wrong and I saw T.J. and it was actually J.J. It's too close. I could be wrong about that. But when I looked at the list, I went, really? That dude's there? Unless I'm mistaken, T.J. Watt's like number 25 and Jamal Adams, or maybe 23, and Jamal Adams is 27. And I went, What? And then Jimmy Garoppolo is number 43. Dak Prescott's number 46. And again, that's laughable. That's ridiculous. Personally, I think both of them are way too high. And I'll be very clear. I would take Kyler Murray over both Jimmy Garoppolo and over Dak Prescott. And Kyler Murray is like a number 90th rated player. So this is all ridiculous. But here is the... And look, Deshaun Watson listed as a number 7 quarterback, which... I very much disagree. I think Deshaun Watson is the third or fourth quarter best quarterback in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. And the biggest problem with this list, the thing on the list that made me go, okay, this is just ridiculous, is that the Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz isn't on the list at all. He's not in the top 100. But Dak Prescott is? But, but Jimmy Garoppolo is? The dude who choked in the playoffs? Who couldn't do anything? Who had... George Kittle wide open on multiple occasions in the Super Bowl and didn't throw him the ball because he's, I don't know what he's doing. Kirk Cousins, Jimmy G, Dak Prescott, Ryan Tannehill is on the list, but no Carson Wentz? I, I hate to get this animated. It's just ridiculous to me. And once I saw that Carson Wentz wasn't on the list, I know I said I don't care. Clearly, I care a little bit. Uh, but once I saw that Carson Wentz wasn't on the list, I just wrote off the entire list. I went, okay. This is stupid. Carson Wentz is a top five quarterback in the NFL. He made the playoffs with a injury-riddled mess of a roster in Philadelphia last year. He made the playoffs. Dak Prescott with the Cowboys had great players around him. All around him. Oh, and Dak Prescott (gasps) did not make the playoffs. But Dak Prescott's number 46 and Carson Wentz isn't even on the list? (sighs) I, I tried not to get mad. I tried not to get emotional. Um... So look, let's be clear. The NFL Top 100 list is a popularity contest. It's, there's a lot of favoritism. There's all kinds of biases. And to me, it's just a silly joke. I mean, a couple years ago, it was cool. It was interesting. Now it's really lost its noteworthiness. It's lost the charm it used to have. And at this point, the NFL Top 100 list is a PR move to grab attention. Really nothing more. Um, and it's just kind of silly and ridiculous to me. And I just I don't give the NFL Top 100 list very much Wait, even though it's voted on by the players, if you're going to leave Carson Wentz off the list and rank certain players, like T.J. Watt ahead of Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is number 27. I don't know what the criteria is. I don't know how they're voting. I don't know what's going on. Um, but the NFL Top 100 list is just a, another stupid list at this point. And I really would not give it too much credence anymore. It used to be interesting. It used to be novel. It used to be cool. Now it's just another stupid list, which 
I very much have a lot of disagreement with. And maybe that's the point. Maybe the point of the list is to put it out there and have people go, ah, this is stupid, and it gets more eyeballs and more conversations going. I get that's how the news cycle works, but I look at the list and I went, come on, guys, no Carson Wentz? Uh, we can debate about receivers. I, Julio Jones is third. That's really not that. I'm complaining. It's not actually that egregious. But Carson Wentz not being on the list at all. That's the very worst, most egregious thing on the entire list. And I just think it, at that point, what are we even doing, guys? It's just stupid. Okay, let's talk about Formula One. So we have two topics left. If you are a person who doesn't care about Formula One, and really doesn't want to hear... A, there's a fun topic at the end. It's not about sports. It's just ridiculous, silly fun. Uh, there's two topics left. I think they're both great. I'm very proud of them. But if you don't care, no problem. I love you. hope you have a great day. And we'll see you tomorrow. Now, on Sunday, August 2nd, we have the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Uh, tomorrow, August 1st, is qualifying. But we're going to have... you know Going into race weekend, before even qualifying... There are a few storylines I want to follow and talk about. Number one, the biggest story in Formula One right now is that Racing Point driver Sergio Perez tested positive for COVID-19. So he's out. And Sergio Perez is not going to be able to race for Racing Point for the next two races, August 2nd and August 9th, both at Silverstone. Uh, One is the British Grand Prix. One is the 70th anniversary race. He's not going to be able to be racing in either race because he's got to be quarantined and alone. And so... Sergio Perez, this is the coolest thing I've heard in a long time, is going to be replaced by <gasps> Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, it's awesome to me, man. Um, he drove for Renault last year. He lost his seat to Esteban Ocon. And I have always felt, ever since I'm new to the sport, I get it. I've, I've been following Formula One for like seven months now, not even that long. Um, I discovered it like in November last year. So however long that is, maybe that's like nine months. I have no idea. But ever since I discovered Formula One and learned about Nico Hulkenberg, I felt really bad for Nico Hulkenberg because he's a talented driver who's always been on a bad team with a bad car. Look at history. Nico Hulkenberg has raced for Williams, Force India, not once but twice. He raced for Sauber. He raced for Renault. Those are teams that are midfield teams at best. Williams is definitely not a midfield team. They're way worse and way lower. And Nico Hulkenberg is famous for never having a podium finish in Formula One. Since 2010, hasn't ever done it. And I, I blame the cars. It's frustrating to have a, a, a talented racer never really get a good enough opportunity with a good enough car. And then if people blame the racer for not being talented enough. It's like, oh, your car is trash. But now with Racing Point, you could argue that Nico Hulkenberg is going to have the third best car in Formula One behind Mercedes and Red Bull. And this is the opportunity I've waited for for a long time with Nico Hulkenberg, where he finally has an opportunity to prove himself in a good car. And he's got two weekends to do it. The question is, how quickly can Nico Hulkenberg get comfortable in the Racing Point car? He hasn't driven it at all this year. He literally showed up right before FP1, the practice session, um, and so I, I don't know what Nico Hulkenberg can do. If it's not this weekend, he's got next weekend as well. Maybe it takes him a couple days to get in the groove. Sunday's a good practice race. Next Sunday, August 9th, he gets in groove. I'd love to see him get on a podium. Gosh, it'd be so cool. Um, the other storyline about the British Grand Prix, really both of them right now, is that 
then the next two weekends, heat is going to be a really interesting topic of debate. Yeah, the temperature, the heat. Uh, it's the latest in the year an F1 race has ever been held at Silverstone in the UK. Uh, Friday, July 31st was the hottest day of the year in the UK. And in FP1, drivers had issues with their car tires blistering and with the heat. They were losing traction. And the track conditions, because of the heat, have been really, really slick. And so I, I want to track that. How does heat affect the next two F1 races? I have no idea. Maybe a guy like Lewis Hamilton spins out, misses the race, loses out on all those points he could possibly get. And it gives a guy like Max Verstappen a chance to move up in the rankings and make a really big push to push Mercedes. Now, the rest of the storylines for this race so far, remember, this is before qualifying. So we, we're going to be a little more generic tomorrow. We'll talk more about stuff. We'll see how qualifying goes in the morning. It's morning here. It's daytime for people in the UK. Uh, remember, 6 a.m. here is like noon there, something, something crazy like that. Um, the rest of the storylines this weekend are, you know, can Max Verstappen challenge Mercedes? Mercedes is dominant. Can Red Bull and Max Verstappen make a push and, you know, get behind them a little bit? Who's going to win the battle between McLaren and Racing Point? In my opinion, it's probably going to be a battle where they're fighting for third place. I don't know. It's really interesting. What's going to happen with Ferrari? So far this weekend, Sebastian Vettel's really struggled, had engine problems. He didn't race at all in FP1. Uh, he, he was on the track a little bit in FP2, had more engine problems. Who's better? Really, who's worse? Renault or Ferrari? I have no idea. And that's, it's sad we have to ask that question. In the final, so far this weekend, another thing I'm curious about is Kimi Raikkonen. He's an F1 veteran. Um, he's in a bad car in Alfa Romeo. But even in a bad car, he knows the track really well at Silverstone. Can he score points at Silverstone? I would love to see Kimi Raikkonen get some points and have a cool, you know, a cool moment. It'd be really awesome. So, those are the storylines I'm interested in following. But number one, man, I am so excited. Two weekends in a row, we're going to get to watch Nico Hulkenberg finally in a good car. And um, I, I really hope it's good. I, I really, every fiber of my being would love to see Nico Hulkenberg finally get on a podium. And if he doesn't, I guess we can't be too hard because, again, he hasn't been racing the Racing Point car all year. Um, but I think it would definitely hurt it. if he doesn't get on the podium in this car. I don't know that I'll be one of these people, but I know some people out there are going to be, well, Nico Hulkenberg, the guy who, even in a good car, racing point, never could get on a podium. It does hurt his legacy a little bit. So then I want to see Nico Hulkenberg take advantage, do great, and maybe get himself a seat moving forward someday in Formula One. Now, if you want to skip this topic, feel free to turn off the show Early. Yeah, no problem. Um, but I want to end today's episode with a really fun, guilty pleasure topic. Last night I sat in front of my television set for over six hours. I was watching the NBA restart opening night, two basketball games, a lot of stuff in between. And during the night I saw a bunch of trailers for movies and TV shows, all on whatever channel I was watching basketball on. And so you might have seen them, too. If you're watching basketball, you might have seen what I'm about to talk about. And I want to discuss them because what I saw was really intriguing. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me immediately was a Seth Rogen movie called The American Pickle. It stood out to me because it's an absurd, absurd idea where a guy falls into a vat of pickles, uh, an immigrant in New York. He falls into a vat of pickles. He's in there for 100 years, 
perfectly preserved. He gets out 100 years later in modern-day New York. He hasn't aged at all. He meets his great-grandson. Seth Rogen plays both the great-grandfather and the great-grandson, which is hilarious and fun and silly. And it just looks strange and weird. Uh, it grabbed my eye because of the absurd storyline, the absurd plot line with Preserved in a Pickle plays both characters. Seth Rogen? Oh, like, I guess. Fine. Uh, interesting. I'll get, take some vitamins and have a good time. And so um, it was so weird. I had to tell you about it, too. The American Pickle. It's on HBO, I believe. Um, bizarre. I'm down. Now, number two was a TV show, a series called Lovecraft Country. It's an HBO series. Um, two of the ex- executive producers stand out to me. Number one is J.J. Abrams, a genius. J.J. Abrams is phenomenal. The most, this is really, only I can say this, but to me, the biggest compliment I can give J.J. Abrams is that he did an incredible reboot of Star Trek. 2009 Star Trek is, I, I've won a, La La Land and 2009 Star Trek are my two favorite movies of all time. They're not in any order. They're 1A and 1B. No one is between ahead of them. But 2009 Star Trek is my favorite movie of all time, and it was directed by J.J. Abrams. He created it. He made that happen. And then Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, the comedy sketch show, and you know Jordan Peele also wrote and, wrote and directed the movies. He wrote Us, and he wrote and directed Get Out, two great, interesting horror movies that are phenomenal. And so this TV show, Lovecraft Country, is set in the 1950s American South. Uh, it's a horror drama series. H.P. Lovecraft is a, or at least he was a horror fiction writer who died a long time ago in like the 1930s. Um, but he's somewhat of a legend, and the name of the show is a nod to him. And the show has some weird twists where you're watching the trailer and you're like, there's some interesting supernatural stuff I don't understand. And I, there's a great cast, and I have no idea how some of the stuff I saw in the trailer is connected. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I don't know either. You know, the mark of a good trailer is that a good trailer is enticing. But a good trailer doesn't spoil anything. It just makes you want to watch it more. It doesn't give away anything that makes you not want to watch it later. And so Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, it's a TV series that grabbed my attention. Um, also, since it's on HBO, one of the benefits of not being on HBO is that there's no filler. There's no episode quota. They don't need to make 22 episodes to fill network television. I hate when TV series do that. Uh, no filler. Storyline is king. And Lovecraft Country could be a really good show coming up ahead on HBO. Now, there was a show called Fargo. It's starring Chris Rock. Uh, Apparently, this show, Fargo, got Chris Rock in season four. Apparently, it's been on television for three seasons already. Now, the trailer I saw when I was watching basketball was for season four. It's an anthology series, so each season is its own unique storyline. Season three, I guess, starred Ewan McGregor, who was the— he played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars— um, season four is going to feature Chris Rock as the main character. And I have never heard of the show before. It's called Fargo. I think it's a spinoff kind of take on the movie Fargo. And I'm glad it's on my radar now. It's an FX show and I am, I'm going to add it to my DVR. I'm interested. Okay. Fargo. Who would have thought? I'm down. I'll watch the, I'll watch season three with Ewan McGregor. And at some point I'll watch the Chris Rock season four of Fargo. I, I don't know, but I have a, YouTube TV, I have a gigantic DVR. I can record literally as much as I want. I'm going to add it to my DVR. Have fun with it. Now, number four, The Alienist, was another trailer I saw. It's a TNT series. Apparently, the trailer was for season two. Had no idea the show existed. Uh, I got to go back and watch season one. Here's why I'm all in on this show. 
It's a psychological thriller series. It's set in the 1890s, and it's all about solving mysterious murders in, I think, New York and, like, and again, the 1890s. And I like the idea. It reminds me a lot of Sherlock Holmes, but less campy and more dark and um, more, more gritty. But what got me into the show was the actor Daniel Brühl. He played Nicky Lauda in one of my favorite movies, Rush, the Formula One movie. Rush is an incredible movie. Daniel Brühl is an incredible actor. And when I saw him, I went, oh, it's a darker Sherlock Holmes with Daniel Brühl? Okay, sign me up. I'll add it to my DVR. I'm all in. Now, the final couple of things I want to talk about are there are two commercials that grabbed my attention. Number one, uh, during the NBA restart, there was a commercial with DJ Khaled where he was hyping up a guy brushing his teeth like, you got it. You can do it. Like doing a stupid little DJ Khaled thing that he does in the background of songs. Um, you know, while well, the guy's brushing his teeth and it was self-aware. It was funny. I liked it. But the very best commercial I saw the entire night was Kawhi Leonard commercial. It's a honey commercial. Honey's like the thing that helps you. I don't even, I'm, it's not a honey ad. I don't care. Go watch it on YouTube. The honey ad is phenomenal though. Had a quote. Uh, I had what I call a quote, you know, tiny laptop where they're making fun of and pointing out how gigantic Kawhi Leonard is. And it also featured Kawhi Leonard's awkward, uh, unsettling laugh. It was really well done. The Kawhi Leonard Honey commercial. Look it for it on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Um, that's my, I would call that my guilty pleasure topic where I get to talk about stuff that is not sports, um, but still grabbed my attention. It was fun. And it's somewhat related to sports. I can do it on the show because I, I saw all that stuff. Oh, while I was watching the NBA. So you might have seen it too. I don't know. Um, I have another podcast with my girlfriend where we talk about life and stuff and she would never do this topic with me because it's just not up her wheelhouse so the only place to do this as an outlet was talk about it here hope you have a great day guys thank you so very much um and that's all i have for today i'll see you tomorrow we'll talk about the blazers we'll talk about the milwaukee bucks there's another game on tonight i can't remember what it is um a lot of good stuff i believe it's the rockets and the mavericks should be really fun i'm gonna watch them all tonight we'll watch formula one qualifying we'll talk about all that stuff tomorrow we'll watch a little more of last chance you give you an update on that. My name is Zach Schaumler. Hope you have a great day. Thank you so very much for tuning in. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.